is the showstopper, the headliner, the main event, the icon of the WWE, yours truly, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. I've got the looks that drives a cool while I've got the mood that really move on. I said chill up and down this fine. I'm just a sexy boy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Hot Tag. I am Christy Francesco. Joining me, as always, is Kyle Barone. What's going on, man? What's going on? No, not much. Uh, another day in paradise. Um, and uh, the good good thing for us, I, I don't really think. I think I guess you watched Extreme Rules part of it today, or you didn't. I didn't watch it at all last. Night. I completely forgot about it. I watched the uh, the Braun Strowman uh, Bray Wyatt Swamp Fight, mm-hmm. but I saw on one of the threads someone was saying that uh, it was pretty good the way they did it. So I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And it was not. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and it was it was too over the top, like trying to make a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Boneyard match was like it was theatrical. It was a movie, but it was a fight throughout the whole thing. Yeah, it had a lot of like storytelling to it. And I didn't. I just wasn't into it. And there was no like clear cut winner. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know how you won. I don't know. Because no, well- like I looked online on Wikipedia. After I read this morning on Instagram that Bray Wyatt won, I was like, so is he the champ? And it doesn't say anything. It just mm-hmm. says that he beat him. So I guess it was like a non-title thing. But, All right. All yeah, right. that was – that wasn't that great. And the, uh, the f- fucking Rey Mysterio <laughs> eye was so bad. Yeah. Didn't watch the match. All I saw was that one freeze frame with the fake eyeball in his hand. So what the fuck are they doing? Like, what are they doing with us? I'll tell you, and I was, uh, I said it to my wife last night, because I was actually half hot about the whole thing, and I was thinking to myself, Rey Mysterio, arguably one of the top 10, top 15 performers of all time, Seth Rollins is still, if they give him an opportunity to be probably a top five worker in the world today, like, why even involve guys like that in something like this? Or have it, like, um... First to make the eye bleed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you want to do an eye for an eye match, like you're not removing eyeballs. Like stop. You know, so make it where the first one to get them to bleed from the eyes, or so, which could be more believable mm-hmm. than pulling someone's eyeball out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so. What's Ray going to come back with one eye missing? Or are they going to do the whole? Well, he got surgery and it'll look exactly the same. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. I don't know. It's it was a dumb storyline from the door. And I don't know why they went along with it. I feel so bad for a guy like Rey Mysterio. I mean, Seth Rollins, I can whatever understand. You know, he's been with that company for a long time. But, I mean, Rey has been like a Hall of Famer for the past 15 years. Right. And, like, they, this is what they strap. Um, and he's in the latter part of his career. Like, why yeah. are you doing this shit yeah. with him? You know, he should be in, like, the edge spot where it's, like, legends and legends or whatever, you know, and don't have him as a full time guy. I don't know. But, yeah, that was bad last night. It, just, it, wasn't, it was stupid. Like I, I tweeted, I really hope the payoff is good for them. I really hope yeah. so. That's that's my only hope on that. Um, all right, so on to uh, greater things here. We are doing 
Uh, when you guys listen to this episode, it is the 55th birthday of the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Um, and so we figured we will do a an HBK tribute show. Uh, talk about maybe his greatest matches when we first started watching Shawn. Um, you know, his place in, in, in the, the annals of, of pro wrestling. And, you know, he's helped running things right now in NXT. Um, so we'll just touch upon all that kind of stuff, kind of like what we did with The Undertaker. We'll just kind of go through the, the eras um, and touch on our favorite spots, some controversies, um, stuff like that. So well, I guess to to start things off here, uh, Barone, you started watching wrestling, obviously, in the glory days, they say, in, in pro wrestling, which was the late 80s. Um, you're, when did you first... Notice Shawn Michaels. Uh, when did you start taking maybe a liking or a disliking to him? Um, well, well I noticed him in you know the late eighties, eighty nine ish, as part of the Rockers when everyone else did, and they were like the white meat babyface tag team of that time. Mm-hmm. You know, these these two like young kids, energetic. The tag team specialist tag was like given to them. Because um, everything they did was like a double team, and uh, both of them, even Marty back then, was a great worker. They yeah, were just like they were kind of mirror images of each other. You know, they were like these two young high flyers who did everything exactly the same. One had blonde hair, one had brown hair. You know, um, but yeah, they were probably my favorite tag team back then because Demolition were heels, and then Babyface, and then went heel. The Hart Foundation were. When I started watching, the earliest I can remember, they were babyface tag team. They were heels before I started watching, but they were babyface when I. And then they split up. Mm-hmm. So everything else was like, you know, the Brain Busters and like all those, the Rougeos, the Bushwhackers. Um, but the Rockers were probably my favorite tag team. And they, even though technically they did win the tag team titles once, they should have had like a real run with it. I agree. You know, instead of that bullshit where they won and then they took it off them because it wasn't on TV or whatever. But um, yeah, you could just tell, like, back then, in hindsight, looking back, you know, as a kid, I didn't say, like, oh, these kids have bright futures in the WWE. Like, no, as a kid, I didn't know. No. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they were they were great athletes when you go back and watch it. And they were doing shit no one else was doing, you know, the mm-hmm. double drop kicks off the top ropes and stuff like that. Um, it was. Yeah, they were like a the the mini Ultimate Warriors kind of, where they were just high energy running down to the ring. Yeah. Way better workers, but the colorful comic book character looking guys, you know. Yeah, they were the first um, tag team to where a lot of their move sets were tandem, tandem offense. They were they revolutionized that. Um, obviously, and I think I heard someone from Demolition say in an interview the first time they went with them. I think it was I think it was Axe. He was like, "Whatever you guys do." You both got to do it to us. It's like if you want me to go down, both of you got to do it because they were yeah. so small, you know. Mm-hmm. And it made sense too. So yeah, and it's what's cool and what's it, it's crazy to even think about this that the Rockers never actually won a WWF Tag Team Championship. Um, it's just crazy to think about that. You know, without the Rockers, I, I doubt we would have you know the Hardys, the Young Bucks. You know, you wouldn't have those high style. Um, um, 
type uh, performing tag teams without if there wasn't the Rockers. Um, I mean, I, I do I see video now where the Bulldogs were really good too, like really really good. Yeah, um, that was a little bit before like our time. You yeah, know? that was the early eighties. Yeah. yeah, like Dynamite Kid. If you go back and watch him wrestle, he was so good. Yeah, he was like Chris Benoit. He was built like Benoit, but could fly. Mm-hmm. And Davy Boy was the same way. He was kind of like the powerhouse, but he was he could do like a lot of fast athletic moves too. But that was before me. So yeah, and um, so for for me, I first noticed um, when I first started watching wrestling, right in around ninety. So the Undertaker had already. He hadn't come come around yet. I believe the first time I ever noticed the Rockers, they wrestled at, I think it was called like WrestleFest 90. And I forget, they might have wrestled the Rougeaus. They were doing, they were going around the horn with the Rougeaus. And I had just, I think they were either the first match of the card or maybe near the middle. And um, I'll have to go get that, that VHS tape or look it up maybe on YouTube. But um, I don't think it's even on the network. And then, uh, so I noticed the Rockers, I was like, wow, these dudes are like so much fun. And, you know, I'm like five years old and um, I just love them. I, I took a liking to Shawn Michaels because I, 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 I think he was, I just thought he, I guess he was better or cooler looking. I don't freaking know. Um, but whatever it was, you know, I vividly remember just taking a liking to Shawn Michaels right then and there. Um, and then it kind of just grew. I had no issues. I absolutely remember when he put Marty Janetti through a glass window on the on the barber shop and uh, I was okay with it and I remember at that time thinking you know that's really cool because now it can just be you know Shawn Michaels as a singles guy because you know when you when you first start watching wrestling it's you look at the single stars Hulk macho warrior guys like that and then of course you had the tag teams which are cool but you always thought in order for your guy to be great, he had to be like a Hogan. He had to be a singles guy. Yeah. Um, so that's where I started really liking Shawn Michaels. I mean, he was my favorite wrestler as soon as I saw him at the Rockers. Um, and then once we get into, you know, the really early 90s, like 92, when Michaels becomes a single star, um, you know, Kyle, I think that's when you start to really notice, one, he's a really good heel. Um Two, I I think other than Bret Hart at the time, I don't know if there was a better in-ring worker. I mean, Mr. Perfect was right there. So you had to lump Michaels as early as 1992 as, like, one of the best workers in the ring. Yeah, they had, you know, Hart, Perfect. I mean, Perfect technically is, like, another level than a lot of guys. Yeah. But, like, when you say you lump them all together, it was, like, Hart, Perfect, Michaels – uh, Rick Rude was a good worker. Like mm-hmm. they had their guys, but uh, Sean took it to like he was like a great worker, and he was over the top with selling and mm-hmm. stuff, which you really hadn't seen uh, before that. You know, it's Bret Hart can sell his ass off, but it's kind of the same sell every time, where he's like hurt on the ground. Mm-hmm. Where Sean can make it like cartoony, yeah. but still look real. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? For sure. And I, what what was good like back then in '92? What people maybe that recently watched wrestling the last decade or so the intercontinental title used to mean something so back in the early 90s like that that was the workers the quote-unquote the workers title you know the best wrestlers in the business were the intercontinental champions so that's where like i said you have 
um, the Michaels, the Bret Harts, the Mr. Perfects, even like the Rick Rudes. Um, you know, that was where you probably got the most of the excitement from if you went to a live show or you were watching, um, you know, superstars on Saturday morning, anything like that. You know, the best matches were, all right, well, where's the IC title at? And that is, that is pretty much where you got to see, you know, professional wrestling at its best. Um, and you get later on in 1992 where a lot of people forget this as well. You know, the first ever ladder match was Brett and Sean. And, you know, a lot of people don't go back and watch that match, and it is so darn good. It's very good. Yeah. The everyone credits the Razor-Sean ladder match as, like, the first one or whatever, but Brett and Sean did one, uh, like, before that. And if you go and dig it up and watch it, it is a very good match. Mm -hmm. But the Razor-Sean one was on a grander stage. For sure. It's WrestleMania, you know? Yeah. And in that, the first ladder match there with Brett... um, they didn't really get to use the weapon as a the, the ladder as a weapon like yeah. they were allowed to do at WrestleMania 10. Um, so obviously that adds a whole another element to that. Um, it was just really cool, and I look back now at looking at that Sean Brett thing. That sucker started in like 1992, and it just yeah. completely carried on up until 97. Um, and we'll get into that. So you know we go through now 92, 93, uh, 94 where you know, Sean is a heel, um, but my goodness, when you get like 93, 94, I think he's, in my opinion again, and that's why I like having Kyle, because sometimes Kyle can set me on my shit, so um, I thought by 93, 94, I think the best worker in the world was Shawn Michaels. Um, he that, probably was, outside yeah. of the, like if you're Dave Meltzer, you look at the Japanese guys, <laughs> but we don't look at that. No, yeah, I, I when I was... Uh, Eight. I wasn't watching NJPW anywhere, so I I, I didn't know I didn't anything. Know there was wrestling outside of fucking WWF when I was a kid. <laughs> when I was like eight, I'm not even sure I knew if Japan existed. So, nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you go into like '93, '94. Um, you know, Michaels is basically the Intercontinental Champion. He is the face of that title. Um, and you go into like '94. Um. And then we're getting, we're, you know, he gets suspended for traces of steroids um, in his tests, which if anybody remembers Shawn Michaels at that point, he was a husky, like 250 pounds. Because he was, at that point, he had brought Diesel in, um, literally stole him from WCW to be his bodyguard. Um, and who's, you know, and everyone who's seen Kyle's uh, Facebook page, he is all seven foot, three hundred and twenty pounds. Yeah, he's a. I'm six three, and he dwarfs me. He's yeah, so, a goddamn unit. Yeah, he he is a monster. So you know, as Michaels has said in numerous interviews, and even Nash has said this, you know, at that point they were matching beer for beer, pancake for pancake, and <laughs> so you know, at that point you can go back and you can see Sean was a husky guy, man. He was he carrying. Was part of this thing. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, his, his baby weight was all gone at that point. And, uh, you know, he, he swore up and down that he never took steroids. I doubt he ever did. No reason for Shawn Michaels to take steroids. Um, so he was suspended. And the cool thing, this is the start of the dickhead, uh, Shawn Michaels, where, 
<laughs> Vince he just Mc- drops title after title. Vince, <laughs> Vince McMahon calls him, and he's at home in San Antonio, Texas, and goes, well, you know, you got to stay home for six weeks, and we need the title back. And Sean famously said, well, I'm in San Antonio. You ain't getting the title back. I'm keeping it right here. <laughs> so they, they, they basically create a second uh, intercontinental title, and they do like a tournament where Razor Ramon becomes the, I guess, interim intercontinental champion. Then the legendary Jack Tunney announces the return of, of Shawn Michaels for WrestleMania 10, where it will be an, an undisputed intercontinental title ladder match um, at Madison Square Garden. So we set that whole thing up, man. And then, you know, ah, uh, history was made. Um, it was pretty cool, too, because you've never seen something like that where a guy leaves and relinquishes the title and then someone else has a title and he comes back like, no, I'm the real champ. You never beat me for it. Right. So now we got to have this match. So it was pretty cool seeing like two intercontinental titles up on the. Because now, you know, they got a thousand of them at every house show to sell. Right. So back then it was like, there's two of them. They had to go out and get a whole new one made and this, that, and the third. Yeah. And it's pretty funny how you hear like where Sean's like, well, I'm in Texas and the title's with me. Like they used to have to travel and carry that thing around. Yeah. Now it's, you know, as soon as you walk backstage, you give it. Like they have like a thing that where the company takes care of the uh, travel of the belts and everything, and the props and stuff. Yeah, so before it was that was in your carry on, <laughs> dude. Like you're not even Hulk Hogan or anything on top, and you're telling the boss of the company, "Well, you're gonna have to come get it because I ain't sending it to you." Um, so you know you have WrestleMania 10, which everyone knows is you know a, a 10 star classic. Um, I literally, what's today? Today, we're recording this on Monday. I watched this match uh, Saturday, um, and I just, you know, I just love watching that match once in a while to remember how great it was. And, you know, no disrespect to Razor Ramon or, you know, Scott Hall, but, um, you know, I agree with Ric Flair. And I don't really agree with too many things that he says sometimes, but, um, because he goes off on a tangent once in a while. But Ric Flair said, on that night, Shawn Michaels had a five-star match with a ladder. And, <laughs> and you know, that's pretty freaking cool. Um, you know, it's a, it's like the whole thing with Eric Bischoff when he was going for the um, auditioning for a job with WWE, and Vince said, sell me this broom. Well, at WrestleMania 10, Shawn sold a ladder. <laughs> so, um, it's funny, too, if you go back, like, if you've never seen that match, but you've seen all the TLCs that the Hardys and the Dudleys killed each other in. Yeah. It's, it's not a – it doesn't compare with the car crash of the tag team matches. Right. You know I mean? like Because I – like my wife watched all those matches first, and then she watched that one with Sean, and she was like, I mean, it was all right. She's <laughs> not a wrestling thing. Makes you know sense, I mean? yeah. But like if you watch, you know, Jeff Hardy getting speared – 20 feet in the air and people getting thrown through t- like it's it's more of a crazy visual to watch those matches than it is to watch two guys have a technical match with a ladder thrown in the middle of it yeah you know, it was more groundbreaking than it was anything you know yeah and- yeah the use of the ladder in wrestlemania 10 was like methodical it was mm-hmm. it was it was strategic yeah. It wasn't necessary. Now, the first thing they do is grab ladders and right. start throwing them and hit each other. Yeah. yeah, I mean, these two had a wrestling match the first like ten minutes before getting a ladder. Um, there was this one spot in the match I wanted to bring this up to you, where the ladder's in the ring, um, and Razor's hanging on the ropes, 
And I don't know if you ever noticed this, but Sean is in the middle of the ring, and he launches the ladder in the air, closed at Ramon. Yeah. And the side of the ladder just drills Ramon in the lower back. <laughs> I swear I would have walked out of the match and retired. Yeah, I don't like, fuck this guy. <laughs> he's supposed to be my friend and he's doing this shit. Like, that's one thing I've never seen to this day is someone just fold a ladder and launch it halfway across the ring. Yeah, especially like an unprotected back. Like, you know, when they throw it at people, they get their hands up. Yeah. Something, you know, or they get, they're able to protect themselves. But from behind like that, that's a dick move. It really is. <laughs> um, all right, so we, we get after WrestleMania 10. Um, at this point, you know, Michaels is now a made man. Like, he is a star. And, you know, it's crazy that you remember WrestleMania 10 and that pay-per-view at MSG basically had the greatest opening match in the history of the company with Brett versus Owen. Yeah. And now people look back and they don't remember that. Nah. Unless you, you rem- tell them to go watch it. Like, when you say yeah. WrestleMania 10, it's the latter match. Yeah. And that's it's so crazy to think about that. So you 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 get past ninety four. We're getting into ninety five, and this is where um, you know Sean becomes a, a main event guy. So we get into ninety five, where um, it's him and Diesel. You know the dudes with attitudes. They're a dominant tag team. They won the tag team titles. Um, I forgot they called themselves the that. dudes with attitudes. So nineteen ninety five. It is. <laughs> and then um. So you, you have them two basically running house all over the place. And, and remember, 95, as we just said, dudes with attitudes, it was, you know, the gimmick center of America was yeah. the WWF in 95. Um, so you, they you, you, Michaels and Diesel, they get their tag team titles. Then at some point, like all tag teams, there's got to be a split. So once Diesel started um, started getting over – in 95 as you know he's a big dude he's a good looking guy he's with Shawn Michaels so he's getting a lot of you know reflectionary heat from Shawn but the crowd just at that point was cheering for Diesel we want Diesel and um they wanted something new right and the best way to do it is to have Diesel now turn babyface and beat up on Shawn I mean that's that's the natural thing to do at that point and when you're 7 foot 300 pounds good-looking guy, all Vince sees is dollar sign. So that's where it goes. His new Hogan. Yeah, exactly. His new Hogan. And at that point, I mean, God, I mean, Diesel was still green. I mean, he, he wasn't that great of a worker. I mean, you. the reason why they probably placed him with Sean is to get passable matches, and it makes sense. It's not anything against Diesel. When you're seven foot, you don't have to really do much. Um, yeah. So you get to kind rest- of like that Undertaker thing where even if you can, they don't want you to be doing leapfrogs. And I forget a story he told where he did a leapfrog with somebody and he got chewed out backstage because one of the other big guys was like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, you're too big to be hopping over people like that. You yeah. Know? Um, they Agreed. wanted him to play the giant. And yeah. Not the the mm-hmm. athletic big man that he could be, you know? Right. So you we get to the Royal Rumble 95. Michaels comes in at number one and... I think he's the first ever to win from number one or number or second ever. First. I think he was the first ever. Yeah, correct. Yeah, because Flair was two. Flair was two. That's right. I was, I was trying to... three. I'm sorry. Flair was three. Flair was three? Okay. Yeah. So, Michaels comes in at number one. He eliminates British Bulldog. You know, the famous scene from the 95 Rumble is him getting eliminated, but had one foot on the ground. 
Um, it was and, crazy. His Bulldog was two in that match. Oh, that's right. Oh, my so goodness. So one and two goes the whole way, all yeah. the way to the end, which yep. is pretty neat. So that gets that the Michaels wins, and now he's – Gosh, I mean, at that point, he's, you know, you can hear the groundswell of him being a babyface. And, you know, Bruce Pritchard has told the story numerous times where the only time he ever heard Vince McMahon use the word never was, I will never have Shawn Michaels as a babyface in my company. And by the time that after the Royal Rumble of 95, you know, Shawn is clearly people are recognizing that he's the best worker in the company. And, you know, he busts his ass 300 days a year. Um, people are starting to cheer for that. You know, it's you're getting to a point now where people want change. He has a bit of an attitude because people knew he was a heel. But now his work was so damn good. And then you go from number one and you win the Rumble for the first time ever. I feel like it's almost you're going to get turned automatically. Yeah. And so that happens. And now all of a sudden he's at a collision course. Um with Diesel for the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 11. Um, of course, 1995, that was Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow, unfortunately headlining that pay-per-view. So, um, so your world champion and Michaels is not the main event. Um, so again, Michaels goes into that pay-per-view a heel against the babyface champion and Diesel. They have Pamela Anderson, Roll Tide, Jenny McCarthy, holy moly. Um, <laughs> so um, that was just... And this was like the peak Pam Anderson, Jenny McCarthy. That years, is correct. So. That is correct. And, you know, that match... I, it's incredible to watch that and just see, one, Michaels put on a selling clinic in that match. Um, yeah. He... I mean, I've heard Nash say before... <laughs> that Sean's goal was to blow up Diesel the first five minutes. <laughs> yeah, and you could tell too because Sean was in fucking, extra, he was in an extra gear, trying to get Diesel to to tire out or, or mm-hmm. whatever in the beginning. And uh, Diesel hung in there for being a big dude yeah. with someone who's that athletic, trying to get you like you know to look like shit, not like shit, but you know blown up. Yeah, but, to uh, me, it's like. I give Michaels credit for doing that because, look, you're on the biggest stage. You're not main eventing, so that should be an extra chip on your shoulder. Yeah. You know, you're out here. Let's – if you really want to make a name for yourself, you, you got to – you know, you got to really step it up. And I think that was the first time that people started noticing that, you know, Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, it means something. And, um, you know, Michaels literally outshined Diesel that entire match. Um, the only thing I didn't like about that match at all was – I hated how Kevin Nash did the jackknife powerbomb. Yeah, and it was, and it was like it looked different because it wasn't a powerbomb, but it was so unsafe. Like yes. he just lets you go. Yeah, you know, if he brings you up and then slams you down, at least you know, like when you're coming down, where you're going. Yeah, you can brace yourself, but he just like flicks you up and throws you. Yeah. And- I, I, you know, re- recently heard stories that, you know, Brett and Bob Backlund refused to take the jackknife. Um, yeah, uh, Bruce Pritchard talked about that. That's right. Bob Backlund refused to take it after the first time he took it. Yeah. He's like, I'm not doing that anymore. Right. And then that that finish, man, you know, he threw Michaels up and he, you know, you're seven foot, 300 pounds. You can't just throw, you can't just pick up and throw a guy that's 
six foot two fifteen. Like yeah. it's it's a featherweight to you. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that jackknife, I mean Michaels lands like ass a bottom ass first. Yeah, you can land really poorly, yeah. like you said, on your ass, and you're f- free-falling from seven feet in the air. Right. You know, it's not like if you're standing and you fall down, it's like a two, three-foot drop. That fucking hurts. Yeah. But if you're getting picked up and thrown from seven feet in the air right on your tailbone, like, you can get hurt real quick. I, I agree. So, at the end of the match, um, Diesel obviously retains the title. Um you know, there was a part of that match where you could see, again, asshole Shawn Michaels. He does an over-the-top, um, you know, he goes in the corner of the ring. He does an over-the-top move where he lands on, like, two cameramen because that was an era where WWE let tons of cameramen around the ring, and Michaels literally just pops right back up and throws a cameraman to steel steps. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, so you, you, you get done this match, and Pritchard tells the famous story. And this is so cool, and I love being able to repeat the story, where they they're out of heart, they get out of Hartford, they got to get into a car and drive to Poughkeepsie for for Raw, and Bruce is in the car with Pat Patterson, and Shane McMahon I believe is driving, so they're waiting for Vince. Vince gets in the car, and he goes, "Well, it looks like we have a baby face on our hands. Why in the fuck?" Has anyone not told me that this has been going on in the house shows for months? And Bruce... Meanwhile, Pritch has been saying that shit to him like every fucking <laughs> week. And he's like, Vince, we, we've we've had a baby face on our hands for nine months. Like, it, <laughs> and he was, you know, saying, you know, now, you know, we got to rewrite SummerSlam. But we have Sid. Re- delete it. Rewrite the whole thing. Sean is the, 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 the bulldog, the underdog. He, we got to make Sean, he's the baby face. He's the guy now. And Bruce still thought the whole time, like, we've been telling him this for nine months, and he said Sean will never, ever be a baby face in my company. And, you know, it's just the, the crowd just completely turned him. So at that point, you know, Sid was supposed to go with Diesel and headline, you know, going into SummerSlam. And now it's all being rewritten to where now it's going to be Sid and Sean. And, you know, the next night, literally on Raw, you know, he takes three power bombs from Sid. And Sean's going to go home for, I think it was like six weeks or whatever, and prepare himself to be a babyface. And literally, Sean and Diesel thought it was a, a, a moment that happened in the WrestleMania 11 match where Sean super kicks Diesel... And he kicked out at one, where they thought it was the worst possible thing you could have done, because it 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 completely ruins one. It 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 ruins the 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 actual you know the finish. Someone's someone's finish, um, and they thought that because they gave Vince such a hard time about that, that Sean thought now his career is going to be ruined because he wants to be a heel. He's a good heel. Um, obviously, if for those who go back and watch matches, it was a crowd that was turning Shawn Michaels' babyface. So we get into late 95 here, going through SummerSlam. We go into the Royal Rumble of 96. And now Michaels, for the second straight year, the first ever person, I believe, to do that, wins the Royal Rumble again. Actually, uh, Hogan, Hogan won it two years in a row. He won it two years in a row? Okay. I think he won 90 and 91. 90 91? Okay. See, that, that's why I need you. Um, so... <laughs> And to win the, the 96 Rumble, he super kicks Diesel over the ropes. Yeah. So it's 
pretty apropos how that happens. Um, he, he kicks him like in his chest. Yeah, it's, like a, it's a bad sell job, and he like when he goes to kick him, he's nowhere near his head. Oh, I know. It's that's tough. Um, that's one of those funny rumbles where if you go and just like go on Wikipedia and look at the entrance in it, there's Diesel and Shawn Michaels, and I think like one other guy who's a name. Like mm-hmm. a, it's like Max Moon and the Dumpster and Doink. It's it's a fucking horrible field. And I think it's the shortest rumble. It's like 36 minutes or yep. 38 minutes where it's it's like, let's just get this shit show over yep. with. Like, all our top guys are in actual matches. This is just to put Michaels over again, you know? It was, For sure. It's one of the worst, like, worst rumbles there are, just because of who's in it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I've ever gone... I watched it live, obviously. I don't think I've ever gone back and watched it again. I'm going to have to. But, um, I think I watched it one time again, and I'm just like... I was staring at my phone more than I was watching the <laughs> We're going to do a watch-along one day of the 96 Royal Rumble. Yeah, we'll get 12 <laughs> views. 12 people will listen along. That's so, that's so funny. Um, so he wins the he wins the, the Rumble, and it looks like you know we go a couple months, and we're on a collision course with Brett the Hitman Hartman at... At WrestleMania uh, 12, and what's crazy is, you know, for the first time, maybe you can correct me, I guess since the Mega Powers match, realistically at that time, Macho and Hulk were babyfaces. I mean, they were so loved, but I, I guess obviously going into that match, Macho Man was a heel. Yeah, up until the breakup when yeah. the Mega Powers exploded at that one uh, Saturday Night's main event. But yeah, it was like two baby faces going in, mm-hmm. and then Savage. You know, he he turned heel because they needed a heel, and uh, but the next year had Warrior and Hogan as two baby faces. Right, but that was you know different errors, you know. But this was like the two; those were the two monster baby faces. Mm-hmm. This is the two worker baby faces where it's like you know you go into Hogan and Warrior, and you're expecting to see a meathead match, and you kind of got it. Yeah. Where, was it five star? No, but it was a good match considering Warrior was in it. But this one, you're going into this like we're going to see some shit here. This is going to be good. It's going to be a great watch. Yeah, and you have you know a thirty. Let's see, ninety six. So you have a thirty one year old Shawn Michaels, and you have a thirty eight year old, I believe, thirty eight or thirty nine year old Brett. So these two are in their smack dab primes. Uh, well, Sean is technically not even in his prime yet if you look at the second half of his career. But um, if you go into that match, man, they, they announce it with Piper on a Monday Night Raw that it's going to be a 60-minute Iron Man match, which at the time I'm thinking, wow, 60 minutes, that's like half the pay-per-view, and it's at WrestleMania. I can't believe this is something that's going to be done. You look back at it now, and you're like, wow, a one-hour Iron Man match at WrestleMania. I can't believe this is going to be done. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I guess when we look back at history now, this is kind of where the tensions really start to begin from a competitive level with Brett and Sean. At this time, Brett is like, and we've heard all the stories just how insecure and you know sour he is with everything that happens. You know, we're at a point now where, you know, there was a rumor of Undertaker doing a backstage thing, getting into it with Bret Hart, letting him know that, you know, the whole world doesn't revolve around you. Oh, uh, yeah, where he's like, motherfucker, everything's not about you. Right. Um, and where, I think, looking yeah. back at that time, you could 100% see Bret being like, well, what about me? What about me? What about me? Mm-hmm. And he's just fed up with the what about me stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And he's like, motherfucker, it ain't all about you. He was still main event that year, and he was worried about, what about me with this? Setting yeah. up something else, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you, you get to this point where, yes, and I never agreed with this term because it's professional wrestling when Brett talks about how, you know, I was just a a transitional champion. Well, everybody is a transitional champion. Yeah. Um, you should be honored in a way that, one, they put the strap on you. Two, they put that on you because they have the confidence that you can headline a WrestleMania for 60 minutes and put another guy over. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't know why it's so hard to look at it that way, but I guess when you're Brett at that time... God, he was just so insecure, and I just don't understand, looking back he now, was, why. The, the more stories we hear, like, he was just so negative about everything, where mm-hmm. um, I don't know if he was, like, comparing himself to Hogan, because he was there throughout the whole Hogan era. Right. And he saw how Hogan was on top for everything for five, six years, you know? Even when Savage had the title, they put him in a tag team with Hogan. Warrior had the title. He tugged with Hogan on some main events. Like, I guess he was looking for why isn't that my spot where I should be the champ for four straight years. No one can touch me, Mm -hmm. but you're not doing it that way. And I guess that kind of stuck to him, like, because he he was ten times the worker Hogan was. Yeah. But he wasn't anywhere near the character or the talker Mm -hmm. or the – he didn't sell fucking a quarter of the amount of merch Hogan did. You know what I mean? It was – Brett looked at everything in ring. And yeah. yeah, in ring, you're one of the best on the planet. But it's not real. It's right. not a fight. It's not, you're not Mike Tyson. Where Hogan was Tyson, where he was marketable and he was knocking everyone the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Where Hogan was marketable, so they put him on top and he was beating everybody. Like Brett wasn't as marketable as Hulk Hogan was. And I guess that kind of stuck with him where, well, why aren't I on going on last every night beating people because I'm the best worker in the world? And he couldn't get that out of his head where Sean saw it as more entertainment than the old school wrestling. Like, you know, the the catch is catch camera, whatever the fuck it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where, you know, like you said, you start to see the the oil and water with Brett and uh, Sean. Yeah. Where Sean saw where the company was going. Right. But Brett was still trying to hold on to the glory days of... Matt wrestling. You know? Yeah, and what what Sean was so good at, where yes, he understands he love obviously he loves the pro wrestling aspect because he's the best to ever do it. Two, he grew up a huge Flair fan. But when you grow up a huge Flair fan, you also understood the the showmanship of the business, where you can be literally the man in the ring, but outside of the ring, it's also a show. You gotta you gotta talk people in. You can't wrestle people in. You talk and people Blair in the building. Both. Right, right. And Blair was a great wrestler. He right. put people over, mm-hmm. but it was his promos. Right. Like, when you, whenever you hear Ric Flair, you see these college kids now doing the uh, the Ric Flair, like, Rolex wearing, diamond yeah. ring wearing. They know the promo. They didn't watch any of his matches. Nope. He's still over because of what he was saying in the early 80s. Right. You know, and Bret Hart, you've seen his fucking botchamania highlight reel on promos where they had to tape everything he said because he couldn't get it right he wasn't a talker right and that was you know if you went by in ring only lance storm and dean malenko should have multiple title runs because they're fucking flawless in a ring agreed but they can't talk they no one's there to see him they want to see 
this dude rip his shirt off and fucking fleck. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So we get we get to WrestleMania 12, man, and you know it's even at my age, I was probably what 10 at the time, turning 10, 96. So at the time, I knew right away that my God, they are definitely going to put the strap on Michaels because I'm thinking you look at the highlight reel packages. You know, Michaels is doing these ridiculous workouts where <laughs> Bret Hart is jogging in a cold Calgary. <laughs> you know, I, I don't remember those from when it happened, but Bruce talked about it. And now you mentioned it again. I got to look those up. You have to. They were like the the vignettes they put together. They make Sean look like this monster. Yep. And then they have Bret like on paper it looks cool like he's training at home. But Brett was like, dude, the whole place was an ice skating rink. I couldn't run. Yeah. So I look like I'm barely jogging. He's like, and then I'm, you know, training with my dad and I'm tapping out the whole time. Yep. But, you know, it's. And I, Sean, like, <laughs> and Sean's doing upside down pushups. He's kicking the bag. He's, yeah, he's running bleachers. Shredded his shit. <laughs> and Brett's barely limping along on the ice outside. Yeah. You know? On paper, it sounds like, like kind of like the Rocky Drago thing. Yeah. Where Drago's yeah. in a lab getting jacked and Rockies in the mountains, you know, carrying logs. But it, in real life, it didn't work out that way because it was negative six degrees in fucking Calgary. <laughs> and he's training with this 80 year old old guy. Yep. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> when uh, you get, and when you, you get to the actual match, you know, Sean's coming down for the famous, literally in a, in a, in a zip pole coming down from the top of the arena. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, there's no way this guy's losing tonight. <laughs> no, it's, everything was revolving around him. Yeah. You so know, he, he going back in hindsight, we can look at that as adults and be like, yeah, every match you watch before, like the promos leading up to it, you're like, he's winning, he's winning. Yeah. We can see it now, but at the time as a kid, you're like, oh, Bret Hart might win. You know what I mean? But, yeah. And then, so they have the 60 minute Iron Man match. It goes into overtime. There was no falls during the uh, initial 60. Um, so as we're, you know, we're 25 years almost removed from this match. Um, what your opinion, you know, we've heard, you know, guys like Conrad say it was overrated match. It wasn't that good. You've watched this match a couple of times. God knows I have. What is your view now on that match? It's, and I agree with, I don't agree with overrated, like how Conrad says, but I agree with what he says. It's 60 minutes at Mania. Yeah. So the first half of the match, there's a lot of like grab a hold, and they're they're kind of they don't want to blow themselves up because yeah. they got to go an hour, you know. Where, like I remember Flair talking about, he used to do sixty minute Broadways four times a week. <laughs> so like when he got to that Royal Rumble where he lasted basically fifty minutes, he was like, I wasn't tired at all because mm-hmm. he was used to doing it. Well, these two really didn't do that, you know. They got. If you got 20, 25 minutes, that was a long match back then. Now yeah. they got to go an hour. Mm-hmm. And cardio wise. Vince knew they could do it, but the beginning of the match is slow because they were slow building towards the end of it. You couldn't go 100 miles an hour from the gate because you'd be dead by 15 minutes. So, right. Like, it's a good match. It's a great match for what it is. I think it's cool how it ended in a draw, and Brett was like, well, Ty goes to the runner. I'm out of here. And he yeah. just takes his belt, you know what I mean, and starts to leave. Uh, and then they call him back, and he looks all pissed off where he's like, what the fuck, you know? That was never in the rules because mm-hmm. you really didn't hear anything about the rules. But it's a good match. It's a great match to watch. And uh, like you know, outside of there's a, like the 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 headlocks where mm-hmm. they're just sitting there 
killing time, it is a good, it's a technically well done match. Yeah. You know? it's, There's it's, not a lot you can do for an hour. Right, know? right. If And if you have a wrestling school, that's the kind of match you do show wrestlers. Mm-hmm. You know, how to build. Not for 60 minutes, but, you know, it's okay to have a headlock here and there. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and then I thought it was a great match. Um, I think Sean has had 10 better. It's yeah. obviously... So is Brett. Brett's had a bunch Oh, for sure. I, I, I absolutely agree. And, um, but look, they, they crowned Shawn Michaels after 62 and a half minutes. He is the, you know, the boyhood dream comes true. Um, he's the, the WWF champ. Tells Brett to get the fuck out of his ring. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I heard stories leading up to that where Brett was pissed about it because he wanted to shake his hand. But then I heard it was Brett's idea right. to be like, no, nah, let's let's work the boys. Right. Which is fucking genius. It is. Because everyone thought, like, you know, what do you do at the end of that match? You shake the guy's hand, you put him over, and then you let him have the ring. But Sean's like, get the fuck out of my ring. And Brett has this look on his face like, all right, motherfucker, like, that's how this is going to be. And he walks in the back, and you're like, they really do hate each other. Mm-hmm. And at the, the one time where they should shake hands and be like, you see it in the UFC all the time, people jaw back and forth. They'll beat the fuck out of each other. And at the end of the fight, they hug. Yeah. So it's that respect thing. But you see it here where it's like, okay, Sean is self-centered. It's all about him. And then you find out 20 years later, like, oh, they worked everybody. Mm-hmm. They worked the boys. They worked the camera crew. They worked the fans. And... That was brilliant. Yeah. Know? I thought it was real. Me too. Sean was like, fuck this guy. Yeah. This is my this is my spotlight. I don't want you in it. Right. And so, you know, you move on after ninety six and unfortunately, you know, WWF at that point, um, you know, decided to strap Jose Lothario, Sean's real life um, you know, trainer with him. Um Yeah, and I never understood that. I no. was like Sean never liked it. I guess because I didn't know who the dude was. Yeah. Like I, I watched when was that? 96. So I was living in Florida and my aunt and uncle didn't let me watch wrestling because they didn't think it was good for me or whatever. <laughs> so like, but I kind of caught it here and there and I didn't know who this guy was. Mm-hmm. Like if they put him with a name I knew, I'd have been like, oh, okay, but like Jose Lothario, who is this guy? Like, is this his dad or something? Or stepdad? <laughs> I didn't know it was like, yeah. and they're like his real life mentor. I'm like, the fuck is a mentor? I didn't mm. know what that was, you know? Yeah. So I didn't understand it at all. Yeah, so basically, you know, having Lothario there would really amped up the whole white, purebred, white meat babyface, man. And um, I know Sean has come on record saying, you know, he loved having Jose around, but just didn't like the fact of how often he was used in his programs. Um, and he didn't do anything either. I know, like, no. He just kind of stood on the outside of the ring and cheered. Yeah. He didn't like, it would have been better if, because how many babyfaces have managers? If he was a heel... And Jose Lothario interfered, played that Bobby Heenan role. It would have worked more. Yeah. But, like, your white meat baby face with a manager, it's like, what's the manager going to do? And he does nothing. He was yeah. the Liz of of Shawn Michaels. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where Elizabeth just sat there and, like, clapped their little hands. Yeah. You know, basically what he did. Yeah. And um, so he had some really good matches with that run. He had a great match with, with Diesel at um, – Good Friends, Better Enemies, which was the last pay-per-view of Diesel. That was a great match. They beat the piss out of each other. Uh, Mind Games against Mankind in Philly, which was the first ever event held at the current Wells Fargo Center. Fun fact. Yeah. Um, It was a brand new arena when that match happened. And, um, 
you know, that's an underrated match. That's one of the best matches I've ever seen. I love going back and watching Mind Games because that was the first time as a babyface you got to see, like, a different attitude out of Shawn Michaels because, um, you know, Mick is that kind of performer where you have to get that out of them. Um, yeah. You know, and to survive. Where you're starting, you're, they're getting rid of the gimmicks. Yeah. Yep. And starting to bring in more, like, Mankind's a gimmick, but he's a serious gimmick. Yeah. He's not, like, you know, and they bring in Vader and... This is where Austin starts to build, and they still got Taker there. So it's more like this: they're gimmicks, but there's these badass like gimmicks you can get behind, not yeah, a clown for know? sure. And agreed. I don't mean to shit on Doink for every single one of these podcasts we talk about the '90s, where I'm like, they had a fucking clown. Yeah, Matt Bourne could work, but he yeah. was a clown. You know exactly. Um, you know they had he had good matches against Vader. I was never yeah, a take over for one minute. I'll be right back. Yep. So Sean was having really good matches with that title, um, you know, with Vader, you know, the incident with Vader. I was never a Vader guy at all, but that's just me. Um, I know a lot of people loved Vader. I don't know why I just never liked him. I never liked, I never liked the really big dudes. I don't know why. Nothing against I did, them. I was always a big kid. So I like the guys. <laughs> Hold on, wait a minute. I knew Not you. That. Okay. Not that. I mean, I was tall. Like, I was okay. The, I was the bigger <laughs> kids in class. Okay. Not like that, but I think, um, like, we were never WCW guys, so we didn't see like yeah. Prime Vader. And I heard a story where when they brought Vader in, they kind of like made him this chicken shit heel, where that's not who he was. No. Where he was a in WCW, he ran people over. Yep. And never ran from people. Right. Where in WWF, they were like, you know, if you're the bad guy, you kind of got a backpedal here and there. And he didn't do that. Right. So kind of, and he was like, you know, on towards the end of his career anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I was never a Vader fan either. So He's still so, one of the baddest motherfuckers ever for popping his eye back in during that. A real time an eyeball came out in a match, not that Rey Mysterio shit. <laughs> yeah. When Stan Henson popped his eye out mm-hmm. accidentally and just shoves it back in. That's a fucking savage move. Yes, you know, you're damn right it is. Just pick it up and put it right back in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then he had, you know, he always had, Michaels always had really good matches with the British Bulldog. I was never a big British Bulldog guy. I always thought he was a botch fest when I watched other matches with him. But when he when he was in the ring with great workers, Bulldog turned it up another level. Like, it, it's as if he cared about it more. Yeah. He had really good, I mean, Bulldog had great matches with Brett. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know, him and Michaels had just great matches, A couple, uh, uh, quite a few of them that I, I, I still watch to this day. Um, so, you know, we get to the end of this run in 96, and, you know, this is where we look back now and we hear the stories of just Sean was just awful to deal with. And I, I kind of understand it now looking back. Like, this is 1996. This is prime. Like, this is NWO. And on the other side, Sean is this this champion and he's you know this company is not moving in the right direction and you know you know the ratings are so bad and you know obviously when you're a guy like sean and the the business is all you have in life that's gonna wear on you like you know wwf at that time are running six days a week and wwe you know wcw works like once a week (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. you know Sean's busting his ass and other guys are busting their ass for nothing and you know I I understand when I look back now why there was so much frustration and uh, I guess residual heat on Michaels for just being a complete prick but you know if, if I'm the world champion and I'm 
basically working my ass off to the bone, and you were getting our ass kicked by Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hulk Hogan, who work once a week, twice a month, and yeah. two you know, of my best friends. Who yeah, exactly. It's like, well, what am I doing? Um, you get to you know Survivor Series '96 and at Madison Square Garden, completely just craps on Michaels. Um, he he gets beaten by Sid. Sid is the new champion. Obviously, that goes into the whole transitional champion thing because next month, the very next month at the Royal Rumble in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, obviously we know who's going over there. Yeah. Um, Michaels, who at that time I read had 104 fever the entire day, um, goes into that match and somehow makes it passable with Sid Vicious. Um, wins the title back, his second reign. Um, so we're going now into 97, and this is where it really starts to change for the for the company and Michaels himself. Um, you know, we got in right around 97, you have DX forming. Sean is back um, as a heel. Um, you know, I, I thought 97 was a great year. For, for the WWE might might have been one of the best years ever for the company in terms of the matches that we got the the beginning of certain characters um, you know it took a while for WWF to respond to the NWO but 97 was the year where they really started to ramp it up um, this is the beginning of Austin guys like that um, but you know as we get into like the summer you know Sean um, you know lost a smile all that stuff um, had a, a Jay loves throwing in your face. Yeah, I he think. yeah Jay's a <laughs> piece of garbage. Uh, and then you every <laughs> time we have a fucking thread where you're like not upset about something, but you're talking about, he'll always post that gif <laughs> of fucking Sean crying. <laughs> it's so <laughs> terrible. It's <laughs> funny though. It is, and then uh, so we get where Sean also was told by a doctor he'll never wrestle again because legitimately he has like no ligaments left in both of his knees. Um. But then, you know, six weeks later, and what the rumor was, the rumor mill was Sean did that to get out of having a rematch with Bret Hart at WrestleMania, which 97 Shawn Michaels, I can firmly believe that <laughs> because, you know, you know, two weeks later after WrestleMania, he's going out to the ring and he goes on the top ropes and does backflips. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Sean Which was a big middle finger to Brett. <laughs> Brett knew it. Yeah, um, your pussy foot injury or whatever he said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then we we just go into you know SummerSlam '97 where Sean and Brett and Undertaker are in the main event. Um, you, we talked about that before. Um, you go into the Hell in a Cell in '97. Obviously, we've we've done the watch long and covered that. You know, it's in the archives. It is in the archives. One of the greatest matches of all time. Um, and then a month later, man, the, everything changes a month later, November, um, to, uh, what was it? Um, Montreal, there it is a Montreal screw job. Uh, Michaels is a three time champion. Um, so when you look back at that, man, do you still agree with, do you still agree or disagree with that decision of the Montreal screw job? And when I look back at the stories, I still completely understand at that time and those predicaments and, and that where the business was, the stakes at that time with WCW and WWE, I still understand what Vince was doing. 
And yeah, I, I completely understand what he was doing, uh, especially since Medusa took the belt on WCW and dropped it in the trash can. Yeah. So Vince is looking at what if Brett does that? You know, he already exceeded the dates on his contract. Mm-hmm. He was kind of working, doing favors every time for Brett. Mm-hmm. And like, say after that, he just rolls and leaves Sunday night and never comes back. Right. Um, I do understand it. Why Brett didn't want to drop the title to Sean because he fucking hated him. And he kind of said, over and over, I'll do it to anybody but him, anybody but him, this, that, and the third. Um, because he had always done business the whole time he was there. Yeah. But Vince had it in his mind that, no, Sean's going over, you're leaving. So, And as Vince, I'd be like, you know, you're leaving my company to go to another one. Well, guess what? You're putting the belt on the guy you hate the most yeah. in your hometown. Fuck you. You're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do it, we're going to do it for you. And that's exactly what he did. But I 100% agree with them doing it the way they did. Because mm-hmm. they couldn't they couldn't risk Brett showing up on Nitro with the, the WWF title. Right. And I look at it this way, too. They gave Brett, obviously, from what Brett says, is he had complete creative control up until the very last day that he was there. Well, one... You yourself, Brett, said your contract was up. Now you're just working extra dates. So realistically, you really kind of maybe not have control. Second thing is, I don't care if you have creative control. This is not a Ted Turner-owned company. That company is owned by one man, Vince McMahon. If he wants to make a switch, you say no, he's going to do whatever he damn well wants to do. Yeah, It was creative control with approval by Vince, basically. Correct. Because Vince isn't going to let you do whatever you want. Right. It has to make sense. Like, it's creative Mm -hmm. control, but it has to make sense. Where, like you said, in WCW, they were like, well, I'm doing this. All right. You know, and basically, the NWO did whatever they wanted. Yeah. And, like, my my problem is, with the whole Montreal thing, is I don't I never understood why WWF always booked Canada so much different than the United States. It was so weird. And the other point is Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, always said this. He said this on a DVD one time about Montreal. He goes, "I think Vince did the right move. I think it was selfish on Bret Hart to not want to put anybody over just because you're in Montreal. Who the hell cares where you are? You're on worldwide television. It doesn't yeah. matter where you're losing or winning. You're you're being seen by the whole world." Yeah, like, so that that crowd is happy, but the rest of the world has a different, you know what I mean? Right. Where, you know, if you were in fucking, you know, San Francisco, you'd have no problem getting pinned, but because it's your home crowd, who's going to watch you in any other town anyway? Right. Yeah, like, yeah, like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, right. Right. Who cares where you're at? Right, you, you shouldn't book a card based on the town you're in. A house show's different, yeah. Right, different. If it's a house show in Montreal, of course, all the Canadian guys go over. Right. But this is fucking, you know, a pay-per-view mm-hmm. where, like you said, the whole world's watching it. So. Yeah. And, you know, you get past the, the screw job now. Um, and we might do a whole show one day on the Montreal screw job, which will be fun to have a fan perspective on that um, from start to finish and how that build always happened. So you get into 1998 now. Um, you know, Sean has the casket match at the Royal Rumble, a great match with The Undertaker. I mean, just an awesome, awesome match where that's apparently where he does a a backdrop off the back of a cat the front of a casket tears his back up you know two days later the story is you know he wakes up in bed two days later and literally is like paralyzed he can't move from the waist down um 
He had the. But if you cr- watch his spot, it's not that. Ba- it doesn't look that bad. I know it's. But great. I mean, your spine and your tailbone. I guess you just land weird and it fucks everything up. But yeah, if you watch the spot. It's like, dude, he's taking way worse drops than that. Yep. But, yep. Um, I mean, even in that match, he took big worse bumps than that. Um, so you know, if that happens, you know, he can't do anything at that point. He's hooked on pills. He's hooked on somas. He's probably drinking a ton. He is at this. point point a world-class asshole in <laughs> early 1998 um but you know uh, stone cold steve austin wins the royal rumble he's going to um headline wrestlemania 14 at in boston against michaels um with mike tyson and you look back at that match man and i actually i still to this day feel so bad for Shawn michaels because you have the greatest in-ring performer of all time even in 1998 Going against the future, which is understandable, Stone Cold, you had to give it to him. You add in Mike Tyson to this, who at that point was the baddest man on the planet, literally. Shawn Michaels is like a third wheel. No one even like cares. And he's the champ. And he's the champ, yeah. Yeah, which is everyone wants Austin, Tyson, and Austin. And no one's even paying attention to who the champion is in that match. Yeah. It's crazy. It's it's not and that just shows you one how I mean how good WWF was at that point at building something that the greatest of all time is a third wheel. <laughs> yeah. And um, how, like it shows how big Austin was getting too. Yeah, exactly. Where the challenger is what everyone was like, you know. And it wasn't like a a like I don't know, like Sergeant Slaughter as a the champ with Hogan. Like that's a lot. Everyone knows Hogan's a man. Yeah. Like Sean's been there forever, has been a multiple time champion. And here's this new guy who's, you know, he's over with the fans. Like, obviously you see it's coming, but no one's paying, like you said, no one pays attention to Sean at all. Yeah, no. And then, so that, you know, WrestleMania uh, 14 happens. Uh, We have uh, the Austin era begins, but it's the end of the career of Shawn Michaels at that time. Um, and that was it, man. You know, that was it for, from 1988 to 1998, you know, Sean's done. Um, they said it's a career ending back injury. He basically shattered like all three discs that were in his lower back. Um, they were completely it still worked that match. Awesome. Oh my God. And they, and they said about three minutes in, he does that upside down the corner and re aggravated the injury. So he wrestled the next 18 minutes. <laughs> with with Jesus. with basically you could tell in the match he was doing squats to lift up Sean uh Austin's leg because he couldn't he had to use his legs to lift over. couldn't bend over um and he still did elbow drops and you know planches yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of painkillers man um so we go we fast forward now to 2002 Obviously, you know, Sean did some in and out stuff. I couldn't wrestle commissioner stuff. It was all nothing notable. Um, Sean returns in 2002, dude. And like we look back now that 2002 to 2010 was one of the best runs I've ever seen of anyone. (laughs) And it only had one title, one title run. Yeah, and, and it, the, the belt looked weird on him, too, it, the world title. Well, especially when you have shit brown pants on. Yeah, and the fucking duck boy haircut. Yeah. Like, it just seemed like uh, that title didn't fit him for some reason, you know, with everyone else who held it around that time, like Triple H, Batista, Taker, and all that. Yeah. I, it just seemed kind of weird. And um, you said they, they offered him more title runs, and he turned them all down. Yeah, because he didn't want to be on the road more. That was... And it also showed him wanting to put over some younger guys 
and you don't need a belt to have classics because yeah. he has a fucking classics yeah, and, during that time. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that obviously with so O two he comes back at SummerSlam against Triple H first time wrestling a match. I mean, real uh, an actual wrestling match. Obviously, he had something in two thousand with his own promotion, but he didn't do much. But his actual first match in five years, um, ninety yeah, five years pushing five years. And he has a 45-minute classic with Triple H. Um, and it was supposed to be legitimately, Bruce Pritchard said this numerous times, it was legit a one-off. That was it. Um, but of course, you know, Vince has an open checkbook, I guess with guys like Michaels or, you know, Michaels probably felt really good, was probably pressured from certain guys. Like, look, you can still do this. Um, he comes back. Uh, later on in 2002, right at the Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden, and in the first ever Elimination Chamber match, he wins the World Heavyweight Title. Um, they, you know, that's a Vince is he's good, man. You want to get a guy to stay around, just throw the title on him. Give him a belt. <laughs> so Mike, um, he only has the title for a month. He drops it to at Armageddon 03 in a um, two out of three falls match. He drops it to. Triple H, um, you know, Triple H buries another guy. Um, and <laughs> so he has that huge match. And then we get, you know, later in 03, he has really good matches in 03. He didn't wrestle too much. But, you know, he, in the first of a string of incredible WrestleMania matches, he has basically the best match at WrestleMania 19 with Chris Jericho. And... Yeah. That is and it's such a forgotten about match too yeah. because you look at Austin Rock, which was you know basically Austin's send off, um, and Brock and Angle, mm-hmm. where Brock almost kills himself. <laughs> I mean the match was good mm-hmm. before that too, but it was you know the coming out party for Brock Lesnar. Yeah, and the match that stole the show is Jericho and Michaels. Yeah, and even Hogan and McMahon had an incredible you know match. Yeah. That, that match one. was actually really good for being I, what it was. Oh, for sure. Um, so this is basically where, you know, Sean's back, you know, this is Oh three, April of Oh three and Sean's back. Um, so we'll just kind of run through things. Now you go into WrestleMania 20, just like that. Two years after being out for five, Sean's in the main event at Madison square garden at WrestleMania. And I, I know people hate Chris Benoit, but this is a match that everyone should watch all the time. A triple threat for the world title at Mass Square Garden. Michaels, Triple H, and Benoit. Um, obviously, we know that Benoit uh, uh, went over. Um, again, that Triple H and Shawn Michaels just burying talent. Left and right. <laughs> um, so then you go into WrestleMania you know, 21. We're in 2005. Um, he has... An absolute classic with, you know, the best pure wrestler of all time and Kurt Angle. Um, so that was just absolutely insane. And what was so great about Michaels in this era, Barone, and you brought it up moments ago, is here's the, the greatest of all time. And he has, you know, you go back and you look at some of these pay-per-views that weren't WrestleMania, and he was wrestling Carlito. He was wrestling... Chris Masters, Shelton Benjamin, um, you know, Muhammad Hassan, he went around the loop with a little bit. It, it seemed like if he wanted to bring in a new... Uh, God, in 2003, he had pay-per-views with Randy Orton and Batista. So he was the guy 
who came back and was willing to put over and wrestle any guy that they thought was the next one. Uh-huh. And I remember the, the great promo he had with Randy Orton where he said, if I had a nickel for every time Vince McMahon said, can you wrestle this new guy? He's going to be something big. Man, and they ended up being nothings. I would have been a millionaire. Oh, wait, I already am because of stiffs like you. And <laughs> I mean, obviously, looking back, hindsight 2020, Randy Orton becomes one of the greatest of all time. But at yeah. the time, it was an incredible promo. Um, yeah, that's a great line. Um, so you go into 04, 05, 06, you know, you bring back DX in a newer form, which I thought was really a good one. They had some really cheesy stuff, but, like, they were on Raw saying Vince likes cock, and it was getting over. <laughs> so I like dicks. That was so great. Um, so, and I still think that's one of the best... Uh, one of the best segments. I know a lot of people shit on it. I love it. I remember it. watching that live when... Uh, Hunter was Vince and Sean was Shane, and they were just made. Oh, it was so funny. It was, the whole thing was funny. It really was. And, and you know, dancing to Stand Back. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite songs. I love Stand Back. <laughs> um, so then you go like late 2005, man, and we've talked about this before, and we'll probably do this in long form sometime. Man, that rivalry he had with Hulk Hogan was, I mean, it was incredible. And what I loved about it most was since. Michaels had returned, you know, he was a different guy. He, he found faith. He didn't get involved in a lot of stuff that was against what he liked or what he believed in. Uh, and we saw that later on with DX, but dude, man, the promos that he was cutting uh, on Hogan felt like it was real. Like it was a shoot and I loved them. I thought they were, I mean, I always thought Sean worked best as a heel and that even as a different human being, he was still incredible when you put him in that heel role. Because, look, he was an asshole for a long time. It just, that just doesn't escape you. You just put it in a separate box. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you turn it up to 10 like they do with everyone else's right. personality. And he knows how to be an asshole on camera. And it was great during that whole thing with Hogan. Because Hogan was still doing the... You know, the old school, he wasn't saying say your prayers, eat your vitamins, but it was like that old school Hulk Hogan type promos and stuff. Yeah, and exactly. Michael's just burying them every week mm-hmm. with talking on the mic. You know? Yeah, and you know, it, we've heard the stories obviously that Hogan like approved everything Michael said, but then after everything was said, you know, Hogan would go up to him and say, you know, why do you got to do it like this? Why do you got to trash me like that? And, you know, Michaels really took it like, wow. I mean, I went to you for everything and said, you know, why don't you join me on Raw one time? And why don't you, you know, do something extra and show up and help me out? You know, I'm carrying this whole program. So, you know, the match was what it was. Everyone saw it. I love it. I think it's a classic. I think... (laughs) Sean knew he wasn't going over because, you know, that's how Terry does business, pal. And so Sean just said, look, I'm just going to stick it up your ass and I'm going to make sure everybody remembers me and not you. So that's exactly (laughs) what they do. No one remembers that Hogan won that match. Yep. They remember Sean flopping all over the place. Um, I know. So now we move forward, you know, WrestleMania, we go to WrestleMania 23. He has like the best match that Vince McMahon's ever had. You know, Shawn Michaels, I got to give 
Vince credit. Sean jumps off of a 30-foot ladder and does an elbow drop through a yeah, table. Yeah, stuck in a trash can. Yeah, like, God, Vince took an ass-whooping in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just go in this ridiculous string of WrestleMania matches with Michaels. WrestleMania 23, he headlines Ford Field in Detroit, 80,000 people. He puts Cena over. Um, then WrestleMania 24, you know, that's the legendary match with Ric Flair, Ric Flair's last match with the WWE. Um, yeah, Rashawn breaks his ribs. Yeah. And yep. Still has a good match with him, does another backflip with broken ribs. <laughs> which is insane. Yeah. It's, um, you know, WrestleMania 20, uh, 25, the greatest match in the history of wrestling against The Undertaker. And then he, you know, his last match that we'll always remember is 2010, um, the rematch uh, against The Undertaker at 26. And, you know, and that was it. And, um, you know, I, I always look back now. I Of course, I enjoyed the first run of Michaels because that was the first of my fandom uh, watching wrestling. And But I'll tell you, man. You know, when people bring up the Ruthless Aggression era, they never mention Michaels from 2002 to 2010. He was there for the entire Ruthless Aggression era. Yeah. And I, personally, in my opinion, I think he was, other than John Cena, you know, in terms of success, obviously Cena won like 12 titles in that era. But I, I don't know how anyone can say the best wrestler of that deck, of that portion, was not Shawn Michaels. Yeah, it's, everyone always looks at the big four that started with that, you know, with Cena, Orton, Batista, and Brock. Yeah. It's like, you know, that that's a crazy class to have at OBW right. to all come out. Understandably, why you would look at that and be like, well, these are the guys from the Ruthless Aggression era, but you forget that Shawn Michaels was there the whole time. Triple yeah. H was there the whole time. Undertaker was there the whole mm-hmm. time. I guess the also, too, is because they're from an era before and they're still there, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm guessing, but... Yeah, like, Shawn Michaels made a lot of guys during that era and had some of the, like, classics throughout the whole time. Yeah. And, you know, that match with Undertaker, you know, people forget that Shawn was 45 years old. And, yeah. <laughs> and he was having, you know, he put together with Taker, you know, the, who was probably i think the same age i think they were they were born the same year so they're both the same age or no wait undertaker's a year older so you know you have a 45 and a 46 year old having the best match at wrestlemania and it's considered the best of all time so that just shows you how great they are and um same thing with 26 i thought it was the best match on that card as well obviously not to the level of 25 but doesn't matter when you strap it. Was it barely not to the level like we right. talked about that too. Agreed. In the Undertaker thing where 25 was, like if 25 never happened, 26 would have been the greatest, you know, because it Agreed. was, 25 is just so good. Agreed. So, um, as we, as we look back now, as we come to the end here, um, your thoughts on, on Michaels before 98 and after obviously 2002, where do you, you know, where did you have Michaels then? Where do you have him now? Uh, your thoughts on 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 Shawn Michaels? Um, he, you know, to go back to when he started with the Rockers, and we already said like they revolutionized the tag team business yeah. because it was you know, um, like Demolition was on top then. They were just these two big dudes that beat the shit out of everybody. Yep. And you have these two young guys coming in doing, you know, splashes and dives off the top rope, double team moves where they would, like, 
you know, double team drop kick and then both do a kip up and then both drop an elbow. Like it was mm-hmm. so cool to watch. Yeah. And like how they revolutionized it. And like you said, without them, there are no Hardys. There are no young bucks. Mm-hmm. There are no, a lot of these like younger tag teams. Um, and then yeah, his run in the nineties, he was doing his thing when the business was down and he still had all these memorable matches. Mm-hmm. He was booked, uh, stronger, than Brett was mm-hmm. when Brett was in the title, and Sean was kind of just like an afterthought on the card. But he's getting these main event spots where Brett's wrestling Bob Backlund, you know, <laughs> or Jerry Waller in a kiss my foot match or something <laughs> like that, you know. Um, and then you know, going away was probably the best thing for him because if he stuck around from '98 to 2002, who knew where his his quote unquote demons would have took him? Yeah, you know, with all the 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 pills and shit he was on and he was in a bad spot in his life where he turned his life around he turned his personality mm-hmm. around where he was like you know the world's biggest asshole and he comes back like a reborn and he's a nice guy and mm-hmm. everyone likes being around him and then his second run we talked about was better than his first one mm-hmm. and uh he was the best wrestler on the planet twice mm-hmm. you know like in his first run as a top guy and then in his second run he was the man like you know and everyone like you said, you talk to any legend who the best in-ring performer is, mm-hmm. it's Shawn Michaels, you know. Mm-hmm. You might get some older guys to say Ric Flair, but Ric Flair even says it's Shawn Michaels. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's up there, you know, and we're going to talk about this with most underrated, underappreciated mm-hmm. guys and everything, but, you know, when you talk about your Mount Rushmore, there's a bunch of different ways you can take that. Yeah. But... Like we've said, where Michaels isn't on our Mount Rushmore, but he's in the conversation. Yeah. I I could easily take out somebody and put Shawn Michaels mm-hmm. up there. Like a lot of people put The Rock up there just because of his name. Yeah. Where me, I would have Shawn Michaels on there before The Rock mm-hmm. every day of the week. Yeah. So he's one of, if not the greatest overall of all time. Yeah. You know, he's the greatest in-ring performer, hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great technical wrestler, great promo, great... Everything he did was top notch. Yeah. So, so for for me, I, I look at before. He's a god. We know he's your god. <laughs> <laughs> um, but hey, but as much as yes, he is like my everything in pro wrestling. I'm always very honest. Where if I give you my Mount Rushmores and stuff like that, I don't mention him because I I just I know I it goes. There's a lot more that go into it, but I will admit. And I'll say this, of course, people can look at it as bias, and I understand that. I've to this day, I've never seen anybody in the ring better. That that's just that, and that's that's even when he wrestles guys that are five hundred pounds, or when he wrestles guys that are like him. To me, he yeah. was always just the man. Um, the fact that he hung with Kurt Angle, my my tipping point was when Kurt Angle told me he was the best that he's ever seen in the ring. That when Kurt Angle, a legitimate badass Olympic gold medalist, tells me that Sean is by far the best he's ever been in the ring with, no fan's opinion of Sean Michaels matters to me at that nah. point. <laughs> nah. um, That's like where we look at it. We'll, like we listen to the fans, but I want to hear the co-workers and what yeah. they have to say. And yeah. they all say, like a lot of people say Ric Flair's the GOAT, but they all say Sean's the best in the ring. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I and there's a difference between, like I said, I've already claimed I think The Undertaker is the greatest of all time because I encapsulate what everything in pro wrestling is. Gimmick, character, 
um, his performances, his longevity. When you go 30 straight years, almost basically the same gimmick, and you're that over, to me, you're probably the best of all time. Um, yeah. That's just that's just the way I look at it. Um, so before 98, I thought Sean was the best in the world with Brett. Him and Brett were just so good. I thought Taker was on another level at that point, too. Um, and then you go to after that, I think Sean was better because in the business, I believe, when you get older, you get better because you know how to tell a story. Um, I thought the reason why Sean was so much better in 2002 to 10 is because the competition was better. The athlete was better. We talked about that, too. Look who he had to wrestle with. Right. Like you had Jericho, Benoit, yep. Triple H, Orton, Angle. All these guys were before, like we said, he's he's trying to get classics out of Sid and Vader. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. So, um, so yeah, Sean, you know, Sean Michaels means uh, a lot to me. If there's no Sean, there's no pro wrestling for me. Um, that's just how I feel. You know, my, um, I mean, you know, Barone knows this and some people know, you know, my, the reason why I'm a man of faith today is because I seen Sean Michaels do that. So it's one of those things where, you know, you watch someone do it. So you kind of get into it to see if it's something that's interests you. So, you know. Faith is a really important thing to my wife and I and my family, so I credit Shawn Michaels to that a lot, um, and I, I'm thankful for it. I mean, I'm you know you can hear me on this show, you know I still cuss here and there and I say things like that, but you know my my values of my home and my family come from from faith, and I thank you know Shawn Michaels for that. You know, getting to know him over the years has been. Pretty amazing as well. Um, so I've had yeah, help. You legit know him too, not like a <laughs> yeah, just a friend. Like you guys talk. You yeah. Know? So it's it's really cool, man. And um, this show was really fun. So you know, happy fifty fifth birthday to to Sean. And uh, you know, I think it's really cool what he's doing with NXT. Thank God he's not doing backstage stuff with Raw and SmackDown because he's he not. Probably a... blow his brain. <laughs> That I just and I tweeted this. I can't even imagine if he was working for Raw and some creative writer came to him with the eye for an eye match and what it's gonna look like. There's just no way Michaels would have been like, "Yep, I'll sign off on that." Yeah, <laughs> There's I, just no way. No. Jesus. When when you are the producer for like a match like Champa and Gargano or Adam Cole and Gargano, yeah. You, you don't want to produce Eye for an Eye with Mysterio and Seth Rollins. Yeah, um, that was... Uh, so so he, he and Triple H are in a very good spot um, mm-hmm. down at NXT. So, um, Baron, I really appreciate you taking this big chunk of time out to do this one. Um, no problem, man. So next week, we have, like, like Baron mentioned, we're going to be doing our top underrated and overrated wrestlers of all time. I know for a fact I am going to piss off so many people... And I yeah. can't wait for it. Um, I think we both are because we both kind of agree with each other's lists. Yeah. And we've got some big name headliners <laughs> on there that we think are were not terrible but are 100% overrated than what they are perceived to be by people. Yeah, we're going to – I'm going to give you guys like a little bit of a sneak peek on, on overrated. Um, and his name rhymes with Schmoldherg. So <laughs> – and <laughs> – <laughs> um, because, you know, we were watching, um, WrestleBotch on Instagram last week and my God, I just, 
This I, I can't wait to just trash Bill Goldberg next week. Um, he almost killed two people in the same like sequence, and then he almost killed one guy twice. Twice. Like, he almost drops. I forget who it was. But he almost drops him on his head, saves him, and then drops him on his head after he saved him. So bad. So it's like he almost killed him, saved his life, and then tried to kill him again. Oh, tried to kill him again. <laughs> It was we a, got enough. We'll save all that. Yeah, shit. I, 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 I can't wait for that show. So if you guys want to um, obviously uh, check out Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you guys check out podcasts, check out our archives, uh, check out this show. Uh, looking forward to getting this one out there to you. Um, and then the, the over uh, overrated, underrated show, we're really looking forward to doing that. That's that's the fun stuff that we like to do on this show. Um, so obviously we can't do a Triple H show next week, which is crazy because his birthday is July 27th, but we already have a, a Triple H show um, in the archive. So check that out maybe on the 27th for his birthday to celebrate uh, the game. Um, so thank you guys. Head over to collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the code HOTTAG for 10% off your order. Um, some people have been buying shirts last week. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, that means a lot to the show. Um, I'm going to be adding some stuff to the podcast store, and then they're going to open that back up for everybody very soon. Um, so we're going to add some hats. We're going to add some you know, mugs or some phone covers. Um, so we're going to add like a bunch of stuff uh, to kind of – even it out for you guys on, on different things that you would want. Um, so looking forward to that as well. Uh, so this has been uh, the Hot Tag Podcast. Follow us at the Hot Tag Podcast on Instagram. Um, so thank you guys very much. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week and weekend. Um, for Kyle Barone, I am Christy Francesco, and uh, we will catch you guys down the road. Have a good one. Bye-bye.